This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Forever. Dog. Welcome to Relatively Healthy. I'm Jamie Stoller. Thank you so much for joining us. Today, we have the best guest ever. I'm just going to say it. Fuck it. The show's ending. I'm just going big here. And she is. Her name is Beth Newell. She's co-founder of Reductress. Ever heard of it? And she co-hosts a podcast called We's No Parenting with her husband. She is not only a force of comedy and feminism and all things wonderful, but she is the mother to two beautiful children. And of all the people who I would like ask for parenting advice and want to know the real deal about birth and motherhood and all that BS, I would listen to her. So if you're ever considering having a kid or you have one and you're not sure what you're doing, listen, you might learn something. Hello, I am joined by Beth Newell. Thank you for being here, Beth. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad you're here. So we're talking because not only are you the most accomplished and successful person I know, but you have (laughs) two beautiful children at the same time. And I'm really curious to know how that all works and what your experience with pregnancy and childbirth is like. Um, First of all, uh, yeah, just congrats on having two gorgeous little babies. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) They're so sweet. Uh, Yeah, it's crazy. (laughs) And you also like, it's funny because I think in New York and comedy, there's like a maybe a delay sometimes with people who have kids versus other places. And it does feel like it's weird when I think about like how few people started having kids when it's probably still like a little later than average that I know anybody having kids. You know what I mean? I'm not articulating that well, but just like it shouldn't be as rare. It's really weird. (laughs) It's crazy in New York because I know when I got pregnant, I was like, you know, combing through all my contacts, trying to think of anyone I knew who was possibly pregnant or had been. Because I was like, how do you do this? What is happening? And they're just, it's people in comedy just are not having babies in New York. Right, right. So then you didn't have like that friend Mm -hmm. to go to. So how did you prepare? Well, I actually reached out to a couple of people and um, one of them has since become my best friend. Like I, I knew her from doing her podcast. Her name's Jackie. And sh- uh, I reached out to her. I went over her apartment. She was like very pregnant and she was cutting up raw chicken and apples on a cutting board to feed to her dog as like <laughs> a 
something her vet her vet had recommended this as a cure for something her dog was dealing with. So it's like this big pregnant woman just like hacking at chicken bones uh-huh. with a meat cleaver. And I was like, this is the person I trust. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> she became uh, my rock. So yeah, I, I did that. I read books, you know, I did some research, but um, it's really, really helps to have a friend or someone, you know, who can just be honest with you. Yeah, totally. Especially in this age of like Instagram pregnancies where everything just looks really polished and cute and it's hard to really know what it's like. So what surprised right. you about pregnancy? What are some of the things you were like, oh, I never could have expected this? I mean, uh, almost everything. It's it's hard. Like, I mean, you know, when you're hormonal, that that can be sort of crazy making. And pregnancy is sort of like that times 10. You're like, the hormones can be horrible. You're, you're feeling sick. And there, as much as you read up on stuff like that, I think it doesn't really do it justice until you're just like sitting there. Like my friend and I tried to describe what this weird feeling is of being pregnant where you just kind of feel like bad through your whole body sometimes. And it's like as if you've like licked a battery or your blood has been replaced with acid or something. Like it's just weird. Um, And, you know, there's so much they don't tell you about like how your digestion is going to be affected outside of being nauseous and stuff like that. Um, It's a lot. Yeah. And that, yeah, that like feeling that you've never had before, it must have been good to have someone where you could go like, this, you feel this way too, right? Like it's not just me because there's no real like yeah. language around it. Yeah. And what did, what did you find like people misunderstood about it? Like if you went to a party or if you were talking with people, were there misconceptions about what it felt like to be pregnant that you, that you got a lot? Um. Yeah. I mean, I think there's like, like there's a lot of misunderstanding. I think like when people think pregnancy is hard, they think it's hard in the way it's been portrayed in the movies, which is so different from the ways it's actually hard and the way it's exhausting. Like, you know, like it's not just that you're gaining weight, but like the amount of blood in your body like doubles. So you're just it like everything is, is so much harder on your entire system outside of just like being a heavier person. Mm-hmm. It's your body is trying to do so much at once. And, you know, it's pumping blood to this baby. It's creating new cells, all these things. Um, I also found a lot of people were like projecting a lot of their anxieties onto me. Mm-hmm. So like if they were someone who wished they were married and pregnant at that point, they would like, I had friends who, or at least one friend who was like incredibly jealous and weird to me at a time when I felt like shit all the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, I also like would have like, I, you know, my pregnancies were both unplanned, but I was happy. I was mostly happy about them. And I also would encounter people who clearly were so terrified through and through of the thought of being pregnant that they just couldn't wrap their heads around it or talk to me about, you know, like they just like, they, it was like alarming for them to encounter me at all. Wow. That's (laughs) fascinating. Yeah. Just a lot of people's own stuff being put on you. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Oh my God. And so you, you also worked with a doula. I'm curious about that decision and how you find one and what you were feeling like about the healthcare system and a doula and what they can offer in tandem. Yeah. So, um, for both my pregnancies, I used midwives in different ways and um, they recommended doulas and I had read up on doulas. And 
the thing I think a lot of people don't realize again is like pregnancy is is not just the physical, it's also the emotional component and there's a lot you're dealing with and if you were like labor is an incredibly intense process and I was, you know, planning to attempt it without medication, which, um, is very difficult, I think for most people. And so I, it's not, it's not just that like you need the right person in the room, but it's very nice to have someone in the room who has seen this happen before Mm -hmm. and is reacting in sort of an appropriate way to how you're behaving because you're going to be insane at certain points. You need someone there who's not going to care if you like scream at them or not, not that I was doing that, but you, you're not, uh, you're not rational Mm -hmm. and you need someone who's tuned into that. And I don't think the average person is, is really equipped to do that. And I definitely don't think the average man is, if you happen to be in a relationship with a guy, like it's not, it's not something a lot of dudes are built for and they're definitely not prepared by society to be caretakers. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And especially it is if you are in a heterosexual partnership, like the dynamic of you being pregnant and the partner also expecting a child, but not going through any of that stuff you're talking about must be really crazy. Like I can't imagine I, when I think about it, I'm like, Oh my God, I just wish it wasn't so one-sided of like the experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's really maddening. And especially when you, you know, come to points where you're trying to, you know, argue for certain decisions you want to make, like having a midwife or a midwife or not using medications or what, or maybe you do want to use medications while you're pregnant and you want to continue like for mental health or whatever. Um, Those decisions become so much more loaded when someone is not physically in your body with you having to deal with the repercussions of them. Right. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, totally. And so then like a midwife and a doula, it sounds like these are people who help sort of fill in all of those gaps between healthcare and your partnership of like this insane thing you're taking on and helping because they've seen everything. So it's like having a right. trusted third party there, like a therapist to help. Um and what was your uh, experience like with doctors and, and healthcare? I'm curious if you had a positive experience through the pregnancy and felt like, you know, your healthcare practitioners took good care of you. So I, when I first got pregnant, I kind of knew I wanted, you know, at the very least to find a new gynecologist or, but ideally I was pretty interested in, in finding a midwife or exploring that. And so I, I, I had a gynecologist. I didn't, dislike him. I just didn't really have any sort of like special relationship with him. And I continued going to him while living in Brooklyn because I, you know, I just wanted to get, you know, the basic health information about my pregnancy and all that. So I had three or four visits with him where he was just unable to make it to the office. He was like with a woman in labor or something. And that's like, unfortunately, like kind of normal in the New York City healthcare system. Mm -hmm. It's just like these doctors are, have way too many patients. They have like five offices. It's crazy. Um, And so I had that happen three or four times. And then I was in the office and he was running late from a delivery. And he was like, he basically had said, like, I have to give these pr- women who are more pregnant than you priority, which I understand, but, and I was not very far along. And he was, so he was like, just trying to see me for a few minutes really quickly. Um, and so he like, didn't really examine me much. He, 
uh, didn't really say much. And then he was like on his way out the door and he's like, you have any questions? And I was like, well, yeah. Cause obviously I have like a million questions. And I was like, I don't know. Is there like something I shouldn't eat? And he was like, don't eat too much fish. And then he like walked out of the room. So <laughs> oh God. it was like, it was like really underwhelming, yeah. um, healthcare experience. And I just think that's like, unfortunately pretty typical in New York city that you're just not getting a lot of attention. Right. Right. Um, so I was looking into different midwives. My husband and I kind of, during my pregnancy, decided to move up to Westchester. And uh, I found... So, well, there, so I, like many people, had watched The Business of Being Born, which is, you know, very pro-midwife, very pro what, you know, what they refer to as is natural birth. Didn't Ricky sort of, Lake produce that? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, anyway, the term natural birth is now, like, considered pretty offensive, but they're, they're in favor of unmedicated birth. And the, that documentary, I will admit is like a little bit alarmist and maybe like not the, not always like the most calming uh, thing to watch for your healthcare decisions. But I do think it points out some real flaws in the healthcare system um, in terms of, you know, there's, there's statistics behind this is like C-section rates do go up around five or 6 PM when doctors want to end their shift and go home. Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. there are C-section rates in this country are much higher than they are in other developed nations. Other developed nations do use midwives more often, um, to the benefit of the outcomes of mothers and babies. So th these are not like made up like woo woo, uh, hippie things. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so I was, I was pretty swayed by that kind of information and I'm knowing, I, I don't, you know, I don't think everyone should make the same decisions I did. I think everyone should, you know, check their gut and their own health issues and needs. And for me, I was just the kind of person where I really don't like being in large groups of people. I do best when I'm, you know, alone or left alone or and I'm very sensitive to my environment. So I really wanted to avoid being in a hospital if possible. I, you know, wanted, you know, the care of people who are going to listen to my birth plan and at least attempt it, you know, mm -hmm. um, but not obviously not like completely ignore uh, the needs of my baby. You know, I think that's the thing that I think like gets, there's all this um, misinformation about midwives and the women who do this. And it sort of paints them as like, anti-vaxxers who don't care about their kids. And I don't like, I think most moms at the end of the day, like very much care about the, the safety of their baby more than anything in the world, you know? Yeah. Um, but we're, I think as women, you know, we're learning that we're like, we're allowed to also take care of ourselves. You know, it's like a fairly new thing these days, but that sh your own health and mental health should be a priority. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I went, I went in planning for that and I, I was very lucky because I had heard, you know, um, different issues with certain birthing centers, different issues with home births, you know, in, in terms of being sent to the emergency room if your home birth uh, has any issues. And so I found at the time this really unique situation where I found these home birth midwives who were working with uh, these midwives who operated out of a hospital birthing center. And so what you could do was plan your birth with the home birth midwives. If, if it, if it seemed like it wasn't going to happen, you could go to the birthing center with those midwives. And then you would be, you know, again, have access to an entire hospital of uh, doctors, OBGYNs, et cetera. Oh, interesting. Um, so, 
So that was my plan for the first birth. Um, it's kind of complicated because that that situation was very unique for and for health insurance reasons, they're actually no longer doing that. Mm. Um, so I the, again, like the whole the entire health insurance industry is very flawed in the way it supports uh, everything, but also birth and um, yeah, it's it gets pretty complicated, but. Uh, so where was I going with this? Uh, yeah, I, so I planned that and I had these home birth midwives who were very incredible. They would, you know, talk me through, they would sit with me and my husband for like an hour or more at the, at these sessions, like talking us through how to take care of a baby, like what's going to happen to us as a couple, like, um, just trying to get us emotionally prepared for parenthood, which no one really does. Mm -hmm. And surprisingly, we don't really have anything like that in this country when, which is insane because having a newborn baby is like the hardest thing in the world. Um, and I, we just, you know, like send people out of the hospital with very little, you know? Yeah. Um, this is, it's crazy. It's mirroring a conversation I had with a death doula where it's a similar thing where it's like our views on the most important moments in life as a society are very sterile and like not very human. And there's a lot of emotional and physical gaps in knowledge and understanding that go into these like significant moments. And so to hear, Mm -hmm. you know, the doctor just saying, Oh, don't eat some fish or whatever is just such a perfect example of the bigger picture in general of how we're handling all these things. And I could see a midwife filling in so many essential gaps that a person like left to your own devices, there's a billion books, there's a billion resources. So just sitting down with someone and like trusting them. And then was, did you have the same, was it, it's, it was a team, but was there, were there people that were with you the whole time? Like this is my person the whole way through. Uh, no, I mean, it got sort of complicated because I ended up having sort of such a big team, but I had like, I had the two home birth midwives and they kind of, the thing with home birth midwives is they have to trade off, you know, shifts because they can't be, always be at every birth. Well, sometimes some women do it on their own, but a lot of times they work as a team. And my doula was actually the same thing where there was a team of two women working together and they were kind of like, you'll get whichever one of us is on call that day. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, that so I was with them, and then what happened was the backup midwifery practice, which worked out of a hospital birthing center, they had maybe four or more midwives on staff. So I had to sort of see at least a couple of them. Um, and then what what happened was uh, when I went to labor, my water broke, and I wasn't having contractions, which I didn't realize very like I didn't really understand until that moment that that then can become a risk for infection if you're not having contractions soon enough. Mm -hmm. Um, Because once that barrier is broken with the water breaking, you know, something could get into the amniotic fluid and cause infection, et cetera. So what happened then is that we were talking to my midwives and we then found out that the hospital midwives would not admit us to the birthing center unless we came in within 24 hours. Oh, wow. Okay. So that so then that meant that if I decided to attempt a home birth and something went wrong, I would have to go to an emergency room, which was kind of my le- my worst case scenario. Yeah, that's like the opposite really, extreme of what you wanted. Yeah. yeah. So then 
what we eventually ended up deciding after like a day of getting acupuncture, drinking castor oil, like all this stuff to try to get labor going. Um, I, we decided just to go to the hospital and like, you know, be under surveillance or whatever. Um, and so I did, you know, start having contractions as I, like I, I had contractions before I got to the hospital and they kind of like simmered and then I came on stronger when I got to the hospital. And so then, then I was like in labor for 18 hours oh my and God. it was pretty intense. And I, I was also, I don't think it helped that I was kind of bummed that I was at a hospital, right, but, right. uh, but you know, it was like, it, the biggest thing was just, um, the positioning of my son's head and my hips. And I, what I learned through that pregnancy is that one of my hip joints was actually kind of locked up. And that's you, you, one thing about pregnancy is that the hormone relaxin causes the joints in your body to sort of loosen up. And so your pelvis is supposed to be able to spread apart a little bit when the baby comes out. And there's just, with all these hormones and everything, there's different ways that these things can go wrong. And I guess I like, I think a lot of people actually have this problem and just don't realize it is that I had this hip joint that was just kind of locked up. And during my second pregnancy, I went to a chiropractor and had that hip joint loosened up because it made my labor so painful. And it sort of, there's so many things like this that can sort of throw off the alignment of your hips and how the baby exits. And I think when you're seeing midwives and doulas, they will talk to you about the positioning of the baby and the ways that you can alleviate these things and the things you can be eating to strengthen your um, uterus so that, you know, things like the um, the water breaking before you have contractions shouldn't happen as much if you're doing all these healthy things, which I was sort of doing, but maybe not enough. <laughs> anyway... I think if I hadn't seen a chiropractor, that hip issue probably wouldn't have resolved. Interesting. But I unfortunately had to find out the hard way. I, I now recommend to everyone, if they're pregnant, to just go to a chiropractor at least once to tell you if there's anything going on. Mm. Because um, if they can you know, al alleviate things like that, it's just so much better and easier for your body. And if they don't find anything great, like then you don't have to keep going to them, you know? Yeah. Um, but I... Yeah, I, my so with my hip joint locked up, my my son's head was probably coming out at sort of an angle or not as direct as it could have, and he also has an enormous head, and so the entire labor pretty much he was pressing on a nerve <gasps> in the hip that was excruciating, uh, and it was like it was like being stabbed with a knife over and over for again for eighteen hours. And, yeah, pretty much. Uh -huh. um, it was, I mean, I it probably went got worse as it went along. My memory, you know, unfortunately the, the human body is not um, capable of remembering pain. It doesn't, your your brain doesn't want you to re vividly remember pain because it would be too traumatizing. Yeah, you would have never had a second um, kid. If it, I bet and you were, yeah, like, I you were there being like, I'm not even, I can't do this. That's, that's why. Yeah. yeah, you would never have a second kid. Um, <laughs> yeah, but my, uh, my second labor um, went way better as a result of the chiropractor, I think. Oh, that's good um, to know. And then, I don't know if you've heard this story, but with my daughter, when she was born, I, um, that this the second time around I had totally scrapped the home birth thing because I didn't want to be like heartbroken by missing out on it and I also had my son at home and I was like I don't want to kick him out of the house I'll just I'll just go to the birthing center with these midwives um 
Not to mention the arrangement I had just explained with the home birth and hospital midwives had been dissolved because uh, people, when people like me get um, are working with these midwives for months, these home birth midwives, what basically what they're counting on is this like twelve thousand dollar birth fee that um, the insurance companies have to pay out, at least in the state of New York, but I think most states, um, they can find a way to get it. But they're counting on that fee to sort of make up for this attention they've been giving you for months and months. Mm. And so when you end up having to go to the hospital, the hospital gets that fee and then they kind of get stiffed for all of their work. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's it's really, again, that's why our healthcare system is kind of broken because it doesn't it doesn't allow for, you know, you seeking out the best care or the care you want. It just allows for like cookie cutter care. Yeah. Um, so anyway, my, so, uh, with when I was pregnant with my daughter, I decided to go to the hospital. Uh, at this time, you know, the labor pains, everything went more smoothly. My water didn't break. The labor pain was really bad, but it just, paled in comparison to the first labor where it's pressing on a nerve. So I was laboring at home all night, you know, waiting to go into the hospital. I was so happy to be at home and like not have people prodding me and poking me. And unfortunately, I underestimated the severity of the contractions. And when we got in the car in the morning, my daughter was born in the car with my doula in the back seat with me. Uh, what was the exact but positioning? Was, were you like sitting, like were you were your legs up on the seat? Like I'm trying to figure out how that even worked. So, so my doula, this I had a different doula this time around, and she is this lovely Austrian woman, and she wanted to ride with me to the hospital because her goal is to keep you calm because you can very easily get stressed out and uncomfortable in a car ride. And then it kind of throws off all of the work you've been doing at home to sort of like ride the wave of the contractions, as they say. Mm. And so. I, she had me in the back seat with my hands on the headrest facing out the rear of the car and I was on my knees, um, which, which it was actually really good positioning and then ended up being great for delivering a baby apparently. Uh, where was the car parked? Like, where were you? We, so what happened was my, my, (laughs) My doula got to our apartment. I I had told, (laughs) this is another piece of advice for people who are pregnant is you really have to coach um, your partner on supporting you through labor. And sometimes no matter how much you try to do that, uh, they're kind of in their own world. So (laughs) my my husband was sleeping in bed next to me the whole night. And then (laughs) he was like sleeping next to me moaning the entire night. And then we woke up at like 6 a.m. or something. I told him, you know, I think we need to start thinking about getting going. And he was like, all right, I'm just going to take a quick shower. (laughs) And I I had told him prior to labor, I was like, you know, I'm going to be out of my mind. I can't be timing contractions. I can't be thinking about where we need to be. Like I'm, my body is turning itself inside out. So you need to be on top of that. Um, And so I guess he just was like too calm the second time around. And also I wasn't forcing it. We got on the phone with my midwives and they heard me moaning and they were like, okay, that sounds like a good one, but you should probably head in pretty soon. But they didn't seem alarmed at all. And again, I think just my pain tolerance was so um, warped from the first labor. And then we had, we had called Medulla. She was on her way at that point. She walks in the door not long after. It wasn't like we were like waiting around for a long time. This is like a matter of 20 minutes or something. And then Medulla walks in the front door Um, I, as soon as she walked in the front door, my water broke. And what I didn't realize was that I was 
fully dilated at that moment. Oh, shit. So, so the water breaking is sort of sometimes the sac is like the last thing holding the baby in. And, um, so, so then I like my water breaks. I've like destroyed an adult diaper. I'm changing diapers in front of her. And she's like, we have to go. She's this Austrian woman who's very <laughs> lovely. And she, so we like walk out to the car. And the problem is as I'm walking to the car, that's like shimmying my daughter's head further down in my body. <laughs> oh my God. So, and I, again, didn't know this at the time, but we get in the car and like within five minutes down the road, I was like, I want to push. And she was like, do not push. <laughs> and, and I was, and it was like one of those things where I was like, it's not me who wants to push. My body is trying to put, like, yeah. it, you just have the sensation like uncontrollable. And then, uh, unlike my first labor where I was probably pushing for an hour and a half or something like that, I ha I didn't push at all. I had a contraction that just shot my daughter's head out of <gasps> me so that she was, her head was suspended <gasps> from my body. Uh, and I, I was wearing pajama pants and I was like, the head is out. <laughs> the, I was like, the head is, and so my doula like pulls my pants down and my husband who's driving, like tur he turns around, looks my daughter in the face and he was like, should I pull over? And, and um, so we did. And then, you know, we get my midwife's on speakerphone for the doula. They're talking her through it, you know, making sure the cord's not wrapped around the head. Everything seemed okay. My husband gets out of the car to call 911. And then by the time he gets back in the car, I'm holding <gasps> my daughter in a towel. Oh my God. Yeah. And then we had the, these like EMT, this cop cult pulled up and he's like, uh, someone's in labor. And my husband was like, yeah, we took care of it. <laughs> and then, and then the, then the ambulance pulls up with this like EMT and then these two young like EMTs in training. And I'm, you know, like naked from the waist down holding a baby, just like there, these two like young boys are watching me like, what are we oh doing? Oh my God. Um, but it was so, it was so great compared to the first labor because I was so happy to be done. I got in the ambulance. I'm holding my baby. They wrap a blanket around me. You know, I'm like, I was. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply elated wow. I was 
I was like, it's over. And then you, uh, you have all these hormones like flooding you after you give birth because your body has been pumping your, your body. You've been pumping your body with all these hormones that are supposed to, you know, like reduce the feeling of pain. And then once you're not having those contractions and everything, you're just flooded with like euphoria mm-hmm. and that's sort of what helps your bot you bond with your baby. Yeah. Um so yeah, it was amazing. Wow. <laughs> that's crazy. Oh my god. The I can't imagine too like taking the car to get cleaned and just being like, "Well, I'll just do your best." <laughs> <laughs> well, it was so it was actually my sister's car. It's like a really long story, but <laughs> we, our 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 car had been taken in for inspection but prior to that and um they had basically told us not to ever drive children in it. It it was like a scrap. Oh yeah. And then we drove my sister's car to the hospital. I gave birth in the back seat, destroyed the back seat of her car. <laughs> um I don't know if you know the story, but I tweeted at Honda and I was like, I just gave birth in the backseat of a car. It's a mess. Can I have a free car? And then long story short, this uh, dealership in Brooklyn gave us a free three-year lease on a car. Oh, that's amazing. I didn't know Uh, that that actually happened. That's awesome. It did. Yeah. But Honda in the meantime cleaned out my sister's car for her and replaced the backseat, which was great. Oh my God. I love when Uh, the internet is actually good, when people can like get what they- (laughs) I know. Yeah. That's awesome. Oh my God. I love that. Thank you, Honda. Um, so what, I can't imagine, like your body has just been through so much. You never knew it was possible. It's like you go from you one day and then the next day you're like you with child. How did your relationship with your body change between the pregnancies and after? I mean, I can't imagine what that does to your relationship with your own physical self. Yeah, it's really crazy. I mean, I think it's very much like a double-edged sword because it's so taxing on your body. And then at the same time, it forces you to learn how to be more in tune with your body because I was definitely not like the healthiest person in the world prior to getting pregnant. And I, um, I was not prepared for the impacts of pregnancy on your digestion mm-hmm. because the, those relaxing hormones not only loosen up all the joints in your body, but they loosen up all the muscle and the digestive muscle so that you can no longer digest things as efficiently. And you really have to learn how to make sure you're eating enough fiber and all. it's like you're eating like an old person. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was just, it was a good lesson for me, I think, as someone who was definitely not very on top of that prior to being pregnant. And then... In my after my second pregnancy, I went to my midwife for a postpartum checkup, and she was feeling my throat and noticing that you know it was kind of swollen. My thyroid was kind of swollen, and so I I ended up finding out as a result of that that I had thyroid cancer and Hashimoto's. So I had to have my thyroid removed, and that situation, as exhausting as it was, I think again was sort of like a blessing in disguise because I I think I would have probably started developing Hashimoto's uh, over the years regardless. Mm -hmm. Um, I think pregnancy is just sort of, it it reveals all the weaknesses in your body, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And um, I I think it may, may have just accelerated that process a little bit, but I... I then, you know, I had my thyroid removed and when they removed it, they ha- they had been really downplaying it all along being like, well, it's probably not cancer. It's probably not this, you know, it's nothing. But, and then they kind of, this is another weird thing about the healthcare system. They gave me a choice to remove half of my thyroid or all of it. And then they wouldn't tell me the 
benefits of either. Uh, okay. Uh, isn't that insane? Isn't that insane yeah. that like an actual doctor, it's got to be some kind of weird lawsuit thing, <gasps> but like it's so maddening that the one person who knows the most about this, you know, weird organ in your body will not give you any information. Yes. Um, so luckily I knew someone who had had their thyroid removed and I was able to talk, you know, ask around and uh, with people who had had Hashimoto's and it was sort of like, well, if you have Hashimoto's, your thyroid is going to continue deteriorating and, uh, and you know, you might as well just take the whole thing out. And then once you figure out your synthroid, uh, synthetic thyroid dosage, you'll kind of be able to be more stable with that over the years instead of like you're having your thyroid constantly deteriorate and, you know, all these things. So, so I ended up going to have it fully removed. And then the th surgeon after surgery was like, oh, it was actually in way worse shape than we realized. And all these veins had thrombosed. And what? he made it sound like my wow. thyroid was like totally falling apart. And so I was like, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's I'm glad that that whole process maybe was sped up yeah. based on being pregnant. But it, it was crazy. I, I That's the thing. I mean, the... The curse of it all, I think, is that when you're pregnant and postpartum, the hormones and everything are so insane and the breastfeeding hormones are insane that I don't think I ever would have realized that my thyroid wasn't working on my own because I was just so used to my body feeling so bad all the time. Mm -hmm. And al and also just being so exhausted with a newborn, you're just, you're never sleeping. So I was just sort of like, yeah, I'm supposed to be exhausted. Like, meanwhile, I was like walking around looking like a zombie. Like I was dead. But um, yeah, it's just, I would have these, like, I think because my thyroid was not producing enough um, thyroid hormone and my body was not ha having enough energy, I would get these surges of adrenaline that would give me like pure rage. And I just, I thought, I assumed that was, the breastfeeding or weaning hormones because I had experienced similar things in my first pregnancy, you know, mm -hmm. um, because those hormones are so bad to begin with and I'll never really know what was what, but, uh, unfortunately I felt insane. <laughs> I can't imagine that. I can't imagine just like not feeling in control and everything's different and you're just, well, you know, at the mercy of the hormones. It was, it was also with that postpartum experience during the 2016 election. Oh my God. So it, it was really hard for me to pinpoint like <laughs> what was what. Cause I was just like, you know, it, you're just feel like you're on fire yeah. all the time. Like I was, <laughs> God. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. It's crazy. That is so crazy. And the, um, <laughs> yeah, like that's also talking about our healthcare system. Like a midwife was able to detect, uh, your thyroid issue, I feel like that says a lot. I think a lot of people don't understand that midwives are very qualified to be assessing yeah. health. So that's something that like I think is notable that that um, she picked up on that. Yeah, there's a lot of misconceptions. Uh, midwives are there's so there's certified nurse midwives, uh, CNMs, and then there's like certified midwives or something different that sounds very similar, but. The, the certified nurse midwives are, you know, legal, I think in all 50 states, but in, but there's these other midwives who are kind of more wild west style who just can like 
take a course or something. And those midwives are only legal in certain states or they sometimes operate outside of the law. And those are the kind of people that give midwifery a bad name, Mm. unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And I think you'll see people like that in more like the home births of, you know, like Mormons or religious groups, you know, like it's just sort of more insular. Um, But yeah, the most, the majority of midwives I think are, you know, certified nurse midwives. They're, they're, they're nurses. They're trained medically. They specialize in birth. And in my experience, I think when someone specializes in something, they almost know more than the average doctor who has to know everything about the whole body. And then they don't necessarily like focus in on certain things. And, you know, like if you come in with a weird issue, the average doctor doesn't always have any idea what you're talking Mm -hmm. about. Um, and then they shame you for using Google, even though they don't know anything (laughs) about it. And they're going around the corner to like Google the symptoms after they shame you just so they can come back and say what it is. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And also like a midwife is someone who obviously entered this field because they're passionate about it and want it to be a positive birthing experience for you. So already, you know, this is someone who's like, I mean, this is a blanket statement, but like well-intentioned hopefully right. about um, why they're there. Um, right. And like, I, I appreciate that OBGYNs know how to cut people open and that is sometimes very necessary and good. But there's something nice about having the person who you're hiring to try to avoid that, to have that not be their specialty. Yeah. Like you don't necessarily want them to be like, well, I could just do this (laughs) and then we could all get out of here. You know, like that's not always what you're going for. That makes sense. I didn't know that. That's very informative. Um, a bit about midwives. I didn't know that. So you (laughs) go through this, the two pregnancies and it's just insane. I know everyone is from this, but like it blows my mind when I think about it every single time that one second you're not a parent and then the next you are. And I'm just so curious, like, how do you at all prepare for that transition and what, like, what (laughs) that's like just to go from not a parent to parent? How do you prepare? Yeah. I mean, you, there's so, there's so much you can do and yet it's all going to kind of fall short to the reality of just, you know, those sleepless nights of, you know, trying to figure it out because Babies are insane and sometimes, you know, like people will tell you a million things of what you're supposed to do and then you'll oftentimes just have these moments where none of that applies and you just have to like figure it out. Um, And so I, in spite of having, I think, a lot of support with my midwives and then, you know, I had, there was a lactation consultant at the hospital and there was a lactation consultant at my pediatrician's office and Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't struggle with breastfeeding too much, although I will say I, about like a month in my, um, my son seemed super hungry all the time. And I realized that, uh, I had gone back on birth control out of, you know, terror of getting pregnant again. And, uh, it was drying up my milk supply. So then I had to, I had to go back off of birth control. Wow. Um, yeah, so that's like the kind of stuff you have to be careful of, but you, there, you know, you can take, um, like parenting classes. There's like baby care classes you can take where people will walk you through because as much as you, you know, have held other people's babies and might think, you know, this, a newborn baby is just a whole other animal in terms of their constant needs. And, um, 
it's good, I think, to get any kind of refresher or book or whatever you can because you're still going to feel underprepared. And once the baby is there, you're not going to have any time for any of that. And if you Google, you will come across weird like mommy message boards where people are shaming each other left and right, you know? So, uh, it's so hard. And I think, you know, you have to, ideally you have friends or somebody you can turn to and text in the middle of the night and be like, what the fuck is going on? Mm -hmm. Um, it's really good. I think if you have someone from maybe like a prenatal yoga class or, uh, you know, some other area where they're kind of, their pregnancy is synced up with yours a little bit because, to be able to rely on someone who might actually be up at 3 a.m. breastfeeding or like gets it mm-hmm. or, you know, like um, that's really nice because, again, like humans don't remember pain. And y- once you're a, a year or two out, like you even start to slowly forget how horrible it mm-hmm. is to because sleeplessness is a, an actual form of torture. And I think it's it's sort of um not given enough credit for the degree of like postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety and like issues that women struggle with. Because if you're not getting sleep, it will really set you down a bad path very quickly. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah. I hadn't even thought of that, of all the factors that is one that doesn't get discussed enough. Um, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, we, I mean, again, this is not for everyone. Uh, everyone's choices are their own kind of with this stuff. But like I I co-slept with my kids in the bed and that's it's hard to do when they're a very tiny newborn, but I became much more comfortable with it with my second kid than my first. But you when you have when you're if you're breastfeeding um and you have the baby in bed with you and you can kind of roll over and feed them, you can get so much more sleep that way, especially because when you're breastfeeding, it releases these relaxing hormones into your body that make you sleepy. Mm. So if you are like breastfeeding and then you like get up, try to resettle that baby, you know, and like change a diaper and then you're getting back into bed and then that baby is now waking up because they're not with you. Mm-hmm. Like it's it the degree to which newborn babies want to be like physically on your body at all times is truly insane. Wow. And I think, I, I think... If you can give into that a little bit, it, it it's way easier. Like if I think we, you know, so much of the parenting books is about trying to be the best at everything and like sleep train your baby that earlier than anyone else, and uh, it's like a very American way of doing things. I think, and I'm my friends and I are always sort of more like of like go easy on yourself. Don't beat yourself up because your kid's not sleeping through the night. Everyone is exaggerating how well their kids sleep. None of the information you're getting is real. You know, yeah. like you're the you're the one who is in this and you have to take care of yourself. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, in our culture, which holds women to an insanely high standard, we do this thing where when a woman is at her most vulnerable point in probably her entire life, we try to throw more expectations onto her instead of doing actually supportive yes yes that makes total sense yeah that's crazy I mean especially when it's something that's so beyond your control like if your baby's crying or not that is a hundred percent has nothing to do with you and you just got to get by so you're just doing the best you can there's so much judgment it's crazy I can't get over how much judgment there is on moms from other moms just everyone is so it's so it's so intense well, and even when people think they're trying to be helpful, like they'll they'll be like, "Oh, just let the baby cry. You can just let it cry." But you're like, 
no, you don't understand. My body has been primed for nine months that it is supposed to take care of this thing. Mm -hmm. And it's sending me into like, there's, there's science behind this that it's just, it, it makes you feel insane. Like it, by design, the mother of the baby will feel insane if that baby is crying. And there's not a lot you can do about that. And then if you're also exhausted and everything else, you know, you're not just going to be chill and be like, yeah, 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 I'll leave my baby in the room and just let it scream. Yeah, it's true. And like every (laughs) single decision just feels like there's such a big microscope on it. But when you think about all the people in the world who've somehow managed to continue existing despite whatever their mothers did, it's like, Mm -hmm. I think we can all be a little less judgmental and give a little more space for personal choice with all of this stuff. Right. Nothing is really going to like break the baby. If you're, if you're just like (laughs) very caring and a good mom, like it'll be fine. Um, and so did you and your husband discuss co-parenting and how that would all work beforehand? How do you guys, how did you guys decide to approach it? We did a little bit and we knew, you know, we were going to, you know, we knew he was going to try to help out. Obviously I, it's so hard to prepare for that sort of thing because you really, I mean, I was probably a little bit in denial. You're, there's no way you can really fathom how taxing it is until you're there. And unfortunately, parenting starts with the very hardest part first. You know, like, I don't think there's anything harder than having a newborn. And you're, you know, you can develop skills as you go, but... Um, it's really front loaded because not only do you really not know what you're getting into, but your body, if you're breastfeeding, your body is still the primary food source of that baby. And there's not a lot your partner can do about that. And, um, you, you know, your hormones and everything, you're very keyed into that baby. That baby is very locked into you specifically. Um, and so, it's very hard to come out of that and to learn to trust your partner to do their part and to learn when to back off and when you can go back to work and um, and trust your kid with a caregiver and all these things. It's, it's very, uh, it's much easier said than done because again, your brain is just very like hardwired to not want to let that baby out of your sight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like whatever plans you have. It's just, you got to, again, like we're talking about, it's like, you just got to take care of your child. So it's like, whatever, you know, you can make these plans, but it's like, what are you going to do in the moment? Um, Right. And I I think my husband and I, like we, we had been together for a long time. So luckily we had shared, you know, responsibilities of living together for a long time and had some, I feel like some of the work had been gotten done. Whereas some people I know who had been in a relationship for a shorter time are just starting fully from scratch with this insanely difficult, it's, you basically share a full-time job with someone else now and you two are like having to manage that. And that's like a pretty insane thing to add to a relationship that used to be about hanging out with someone you like. Yeah, you know? totally. That makes so much <laughs> sense. Yeah. It's like everything. It's like roommate, coworker, you know, a husband, yeah. wife. It, it's like every relationship all at once in the most intense setting when hormones are pumping through your body and you're not sleeping. Mm-hmm. All right. Sounds good. I'm <laughs> sold. Um, <laughs> so there's a lot of talk about parenting styles and I'm curious if you have one or if you label one, because I'm also just curious, like in general, when labels are even relevant, like I, I know that there's you know, free, free range parenting and like certain kinds of things like that. And I'm just like, Oh, I don't, I don't really know if growing up, like my mom had a parenting style. She's kind of just figuring it out. I don't know. So I'm curious what you think about that stuff. 
Yeah, I don't really follow any of those. Like, I'll sometimes hear people give advice based on them, and it sounds interesting, and I'll, you know, read the occasional article or anything, but I'm just not really a big subscriber to that sort of thing. I think there, with any philosophy like that, you can just lean in too hard and just screw your kid up in the reverse Mm -hmm. way, or I'm kind of type A too, so I don't... I don't do well with like extra expectations. Like I've already put enough expectations on myself all the time. So it doesn't work great for me if I'm like giving myself extra tests to achieve. Right, right. Um, but I, I do think, you know, I, the the parenting styles that have resonated with me, I think, you know, are sort of ones about not giving in emotionally to your toddler and sort of like, trying to be emotionally detached when you're setting boundaries with them and trying to just like calmly explain things. And that makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. You know, like I can see that in practice when you're dealing with a kid It's just, um, don't, don't be reactive to them. You know, like you're, you're supposed to be the adult as hard as it is in the moment when you have a kid like screaming at you for hours on end, you Mm -hmm. know? (laughs) So it's like that, that, that does sound like what my mom used to do. It used to really piss me off, but it always worked was just like not mm-hmm. when she would just be like, you're whining. And I would be like, you know what? <laughs> I hate this, but you're right. And I'm going to try something else. Um, yeah. It's a very fine line of not being like an annoyed you're whining. Right, and just right. being like, I'm, I'm not going to answer you if you're Oh whining, my God. You know? Yeah. Just, oh my God. I can't <laughs> imagine. I would just be like screaming at my kid. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I guess also like on that, there's a lot of talk now, especially with Felicity Huffman about helicopter parenting. And it just feels like very much now, I don't know if it's more now or if, if it's the culture or if it's just being discussed as a phenomenon, but I don't know if you see that with like in parenting more that people or something that you've noticed that like people are really over overly involved in like overly parenting kids. Yeah. I mean, it depends on the people. It definitely seems like more of an upper class Mm -hmm. problem because I think the average American these days is just like trying to get through the day and you know, you want, everyone wants to do a good job with their kid, but most people do have to work and they have to do things yeah, yeah. Um, in their day. And like, even if you're a full-time stay-at-home parent, that's still just so exhausting that at some point the most people are going to turn on the TV or, you know, throw them an unhealthy snack or something. Like, it's just, it's just not realistic. I yeah. think some of the parenting standards that are put out there. Um, but I'm always coming from it, like from a reductionist background, which I think was weirdly, uh, informative to coming into parenting because, you know, I spent all these years sort of studying the way the media speaks to and about women and, um, the double standards and the, the, all these boxes we're supposed to check and live up to. So when I came into reading pregnancy stuff, I was a little bit more primed for that. And I was Mm. like, I mean, I was definitely a little more insane with the first kid because you kind of, when you're pregnant for the first time, you get kind of starry eyed and you think you're going to be the best parent and do better than your parents did. And like you, you set these insane expectations. And then once you have a baby, it's very quickly, um, you're brought down to Mm -hmm. earth. Um, but I think over the years I've definitely been much more relaxed with myself as I've like come to terms with reality and thought about the, these ideas of like screen time, for example, yeah. the idea that you're not supposed to let your kid be near screens is like, that's a privileged 
thing. Mm-hmm. Like if you have full-time daycare and you're not, you know, stressed and tired at the end of the day and you're not trying to cook dinner and, you know, sure. Yeah. Then you could like never give your, give your kids screens. And I'm sure some people do it. Don't give their kids screens and it's fine. Like, I'm not saying you have to give your kids screens, but these kind of issues, like we just, we set ourselves up for failure. I think sometimes if we think we're really gonna, um, be a hundred percent on it. Yeah. Or like feeding your kids only organic. I mean, this, these are things that are just so insane and like only one person Gwyneth Paltrow probably could do. And then also <laughs> on top of that, I always think about with screens, it's like, it reminds me of candy when I was growing up where like, if I didn't get it at my house, I would get it at somebody else's. So you're fighting such mm-hmm. big universal sort of like norms. So you can do your best as a parent, but there's also, you got to be realistic. You're not living, you know, off in the woods and can like set your own rules they're going they're seeing everything anyway um well and it was always it always seemed like the parents who were like super disciplinarian about stuff like that when their kids left the house or were somewhere else those are the kids who suddenly are like binge drinking or you know like they're just like they're so like suppressed that they're looking for that out they're just gonna explode exactly so you gotta find some way of just being like okay this is you know it's like a reality so you gotta be exposed to it um and on that note like I guess I mean, I just feel like there's so many things setting, as you said, like setting mothers up to feel like failures and not supporting them. And I mean, obviously some of the things that people know about are we should have universal preschool so that mothers can get back to work and we should have adequate paid family leave. And there's so many things that just like are so set up for mothers to take on all this extra stress. Are there other things you feel you're like, oh my God, this is like low hanging fruit. Why are we not doing this to help moms? I mean, I agree like with what you just said, those two are pretty high up there for me. Like universal pre-K, I I don't think people understand how much, like I think that would change the world like significantly, not in terms of moms being able to get back to work, but also all these kids just being in a learning environment at a young age who could not financially, you know, justify mm-hmm. it, I think is crazy. Um, Elizabeth Warren has also been talking about universal childcare, which I guess is sort of a step above that, like at a younger age, which I think is great. I don't know how soon that could realistically come about, but I think that's a great idea. Yeah, I, there was some study, I'm not gonna be able to cite it, but it was a, um, a study done on people who were in pre-K education. And there were so many strong correlations, even, you know, controlled for everything else about how those kids ended up achieving later in life. Like it is so important mm-hmm. during those years to get education. And like you said, I think if we got that, at a young age and it was universal, it would change the world. That is such a, it just feels like such an essential thing that could have such long lasting effects. Well, that was something that kind of drove me a little bit crazy in the last election when, um, you know, Bernie Sanders supporters would talk about free college all the time. And I was like, well, what about those (laughs) kids that never got that pre-K? You know, like you have to start sooner. And I know free college sounds very sexy and fun (laughs) and like we all went to college, but it's like, these, I think unfortunately a lot of these issues about supporting moms just don't sound sexy and fun to people, even though (laughs) they are simultaneously the most like vulnerable members of society and also the ones who will become our future society. You know what I mean? Like it's just like, could not be more important, I think, to be supporting moms and children. Yeah. From any angle, like if you even want to be, you know, a cold person and just talk about the economy, then they're getting back to work earlier. Like there's so many things that it would affect. It's, 
I think it would be so good for the economy. And I actually, some mom in my mom group was trying to um, convince her company to do better with paid family leave. And she ran the numbers for them and basically proved to them that the amount of money that they're spending on trying to recruit more women to come work at their company when they lose a woman who didn't come back because she needed, you know, more maternity leave or whatever, they're spending more mm. money to screw us over right. than they could be to the, and I think that's true of so many things in government in terms of the way we treat homeless people mm-hmm. and moms and education. It's just if you if you just give people a little bit so that they can stay afloat and keep their heads above water and get through this year, this, you know, this month, like it's crazy how much less they're going to be taxing the system over time. It's so true. And it's just like a short sightedness and a lack of faith in people. It's really like a very dark reality too. If we just invested a little bit more, how much we would be saving in the long term, And Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. Some of the companies that my friends have worked for, the the parental leave is unbelievable. And I also know with TV writers, there were a bunch of articles that came out last year because if you are on a show, you could just straight up not be, you know, asked back, but you can get fired for having a kid. Like there's these sort of industries that even like people in comedy um, are in where I've seen, oh, that is just a horribly inhospitable place to work for a person who either wants to have a child or has a child. It's crazy. And and I think unfortunately it's like most industries, yeah. you know what I mean? Like I, I know women who are teachers in the New York city school system and they, uh, they only get maybe a few weeks of leave, which is really just, I, it, for, in most cases, I think just not enough time no. for women uh, to recover from, you know, a lot of people don't understand that when women give birth, your body is bleeding for about six weeks after you give birth. You're still, you know, wearing menstrual pads, your body is healing a massive wound where the placenta detached from your body. And you're also taking care of a newborn simultaneously. And I, it's just the amount of time women are given is not enough. And so these women in the New York city public school system and, and other school systems will often, they'll try to time their pregnancy so that they can give birth Mm. in the summer so that they can tack on some time because it's not enough time. And that's just, again, just such an insane way to live. Right. Like that we are trying to time something like that. It's just, you know, it's not very realistic. To your point about the physical, what you're experiencing after you give birth, I honestly am so surprised when I hear these things because I don't think there's any conversation or display of it in the mainstream media. Like I hate, I mean, Ali Wong really, her stand-up specials have been the most educating things for me on pregnancy and what happens to your body after motherhood. And I can't believe when mm-hmm. I hear things like your body is bleeding afterwards and I'm like, oh, well, why didn't I know that? Why is this not discussed? Right. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, I representation on TV is always such a weird chicken and egg thing because I think the people who control the industry will never really believe that something is, you know, good or wanted until they see it and they'll never see it because until they believe, you know right. what I mean? So it's like, I, I've pitched things about this where I'm like, there, there could not be more material to mine here that is, you know, uh, 
very emotional, humanizing, hard, funny. Like there's so much there. Yes. And there's and there's so much there that I think would be if you were to put this into a TV show, you know, it would inspire a lot of uh, think pieces and you know people I think a lot of people would be so glad to see it represented and not just moms you know what yeah. I mean and and what's what makes me even more mad about it is that um you know there are millions of women in this country pregnant at, at every, any given year it's like their moms are in enormous segment of the population. They have huge spending power. You know, the women in households are the primary spenders. It's not like there's not money to be made off of these things. Yes. It's, it's like, it, it drives me insane. Like I just don't, the, uh, the cognitive dissonance in, uh, trying to get people to understand yeah. why, why women should be featured in media is really, Bizarre. I need to see that show from you. Seriously. There's so much. Oh my God. I would die to see it. That brings me to a question too, which is like, I was thinking about portrayals of, you know, working moms and like Miranda from sex in the city is the one that comes to mind, which is definitely not a typical experience. And that show is not based in reality. But I think like this question that people ask, which I clarified when I sent you the email before the podcast with like what I want to talk about, I'm not asking you this question, but there's that question of like, <laughs> how do you have it all? How do you balance work and motherhood? <laughs> and I'm curious what that looks like for you in terms of like one, how you answer that. Cause I'm sure you've been asked that a bunch. Cause that's like everyone's go-to when uh, you're a working mom. It's like, a you know, just such like a, oh my God, what what is that like? And then the other thing is like, just like any tips you might have for people on it. Cause it just feels like we're talking about society does not set it up for, you know, success. Yeah. I mean, no, it doesn't. And I think we're, there are a lot of articles about this actually where in, in a lot of ways we're actually at the point in history that is the hardest for moms because we've made all these gains in the workplace. We're able to go to work and do these things, but nothing else about society has restructured around that. So we still, for the most part, have the same responsibilities as if we were home full time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of women, I mean, I... I feel very lucky. I am married to someone who really steps up and um, it, he's, you know, slowly deprogramming all of the uh, ways society is going to be man. But um, it's like, it, there's so much that needs to be done. And you just, I think, unfortunately, like right these days, you do have to be comfortable with just not having it mm -hmm. all. And something is going to go to shit, you know, every day of the week. You're just not going to, get everything you want done. Um, but yeah, I, it's funny you say that about that question being sort of women asked it too much. And I understand why women are annoyed that they're being asked and that men are not being right. asked because men should, men should be asked. But then I also sometimes think like the us like shirking that question is like sort of not getting to the heart of the, like this issue that does need to be talked about, which is just like, how the hell do you do yeah. this? Because it's, it's insane. I mean, I'm, I'm very lucky that I, you know, co-own a business at Reductress. And so I've had some flexibility over the years where I can, I can be the boss and just be like, I cannot come in today. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? But if I was anyone else, I would have lost my job by now or something. You know right. what I mean? It's just, uh, it, yeah, yeah, it just feels like hard. a very soundbitey question when it's like, what you answered, it's like, you kind of can't, like, it's not set up so that you can't have it all. Because I think, yeah, it's yeah. just, 
it's crazy to me the pressure that, like you talked about, like the pressure on moms to do everything. And I think also like at workplaces, not only is there the inability to like literally be there as much as you want and do the work, but I feel like there's a stigma around moms in workplaces that's beyond just like, it's just like a belief that they won't do their job well. I've, cause I've heard this from mm-hmm. people who've had children or have applied for jobs and the interviewer has said something along the lines of like trying to suss out if they're going to have a kid soon. Cause they think that you're going to then become, you know, yeah. just a mom and like not care about your job. And there's this belief that like the second you become mom, you can't be good at your job anymore or something. I've just seen that. It's, it's crazy because I mean, it is obviously a huge tax on your time and energy, but at the same time, that that old saying of like, if you want something done, ask a busy mom, that is very true. Like no one values their time like a mm-hmm. mom, you know, like no one understands the value of 10 minutes, like someone with young children. I, I, I think, um, and I, it's so crazy Cause at the end of the day, most people are like goofing off on their computers half the week. And like the, the 40 hour work week we have set up, I think is really like not realistic for a lot of professions. Mm -hmm. It's not necessary. And it just makes people more miserable. And I think a lot of these companies, I know like if you're in TV or certain industries, there might be exceptions where you like really need something to happen. But a lot of industries, I think they could be more flexible, allow for more work from home right. days, yeah. you know, like people, most people will get their jobs done, especially if they have mouths to feed, you know, um, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like putting trust in the employees that they're going to do a good job. I think that's very, that's very profound what you just said. So, um, this has been so educational and fascinating. And I guess like the one thing I still, I'm like not sold on having, I'm not sure. <laughs> I I don't particularly like a lot of kids, but like I do want to be a mother. Okay. So that's sort of like a weird thing. But I guess I'm also scared my kids would come out bad. Like I'm just worried they'd be little <laughs> shitheads. So no, I don't think how so. How do you not have bad kids? Like how do you raise good kids? Oh man. Uh, I mean, we're working on it. <laughs> I don't, I, I think, I do really think taking care of yourself is incredibly important so that you can be more present and happy with your kids. Because at the end of the day, a lot of what your kids are doing is just mimicking what you do. So your, your kid, I, it's not like, obviously all toddlers have cranky moments, but at the end of the day, your kids are kind of a reflection of you and how you walk through the world. And I think if you're, you're raising them in a pretty high stress environment, that's going to like affect them. You yeah. know what I mean? So I do think, I, and again, I'm working on this. I'm an anxious person. I'm not always super happy. I come home cranky. You know, like I'm not always my best self around my kids, but I try to take care of myself and I try to, you know, be present with them and do stuff that isn't screen time and get them outside and all that. But um, yeah, I, I think like you in particular as an improviser and comedy person have an advantage because... I do think that's kind of like the yes and spirit really helps you with kids because you're sort of like, if you can just play along with them and be positive and not like, I I think you probably have had experiences with people when you're improvising where they can just suck the life out of things. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
or, or just like know you. And sometimes, sometimes a toddler will do that to you, but, um, you know, you can like distract, deflect and try to keep it moving. And I think you'll have, you'll, you would find yourself to have a lot more of those skills than you might Interesting. Realize. Oh my God. I love when improv is relevant. That makes me really happy. <laughs> it justifies the cost. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Um, well, Beth, this is our time. I know your time is precious. I want to thank you so much. I admire you so much. I can't believe like how cool you are. And I want you to be oh, like, if I have a kid, I'm going to like really annoy you for advice because this is very please, enlightening. Please do because I love to ramble about awesome. it. Awesome. <laughs> um, so if people want to find you and learn more, where would you direct them on the internet? So you can find me on my podcast, We Knows Parenting. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at Beth New. You can find me on Instagram, Beth Newell. Um, I, my kids are very funny. Funny than I am <laughs> Awesome. And definitely Instagram. everyone check out Reductress. It's the best. So, And Beth, you're the best. So thank you so much for being on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Engineered and mastered by Alex Sarche. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcast.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.